This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. And we are here again this week after following up with the AAF breakdown of all the players who came from the San Antonio Commanders signing with the Miami Dolphins. If you didn't listen to it yet this week, please go back into the archives from the other day. We talked to Cole Thompson, the former in-house reporter for San Antonio. He gave us all the inside scoop on the players coming over. Over the next few weeks, as we told you on our last podcast, we are going to be previewing different positions leading up to the NFL draft. We'll be bringing two podcasts to you each week up until the draft and making sure we're covering all the key positions that we believe the Dolphins are targeting. We're going to kick things off with this position preview with the offensive line. And the Dolphins will be picking offensive line somewhere in this draft. We don't know where, whether it's going to be the first round, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh. We do have a gut feeling they're going to be picking an offensive lineman high, whether that's in the first round or the second round. I think it is more likely in the first round over anything else because I do think at 13 and the Dolphins wanting to trade down, all the premier defensive edge rushers will probably be off the board. Of course, there's that quarterback possibility, which we've been told that it's not likely. But as I said on Twitter, I am going to believe it when I see it. And we will see what happens in just a few weeks. On this podcast episode, here's what we're going to do. The three of us will give you our first-round prospect, uh, possible second-round prospect as well. Uh, I believe Sutton has a prospect that may n- likely won't fall to the second round but could be a late first-round pick and could be an ideal target for the Dolphins if they do, in fact, trade down. 
We'll also give you our mid-round guys, uh, guys who can be picked in the fourth, fifth, probably late third round. We don't really want to get into the sixth and seventh rounds. We know, yes, there are players who have succeeded in the sixth and seventh rounds, but that's the exception, not the rule. So we're not going to waste too much time on going through those guys and trying to figure out who's going to be a good player, who's going to develop this and that. We know we have a limited amount of time to talk to you. We wanted to give you the best that we could possibly give you and give you information that you may be able to use during the draft as you watch days one and two. And as we know, the audience fades out on day three. So let's jump right into it with this offensive line. The offensive line class, not really too uh, deep, I should say. It's a little bit top-heavy, especially at offensive tackle. You have a, quite a few players who are likely going the first round, uh, late first round. We know Jawan Taylor probably uh, will be definitely going in the top 15. Dalton Risner is another guy from Kansas State. Jonah Williams also going to be going in the first round, top 20, top 25, possibly top 10. There's some talk about him not getting past the Buffalo Bills. Cody Ford, another one from Oklahoma, could be a late-round guy. When you talk about the offensive guard position, you have other guys. You have uh, Chris Lindstrom from Boston College. And then after that, it kind of gets, you know, a little sketchy there. Um, it, it's again, it's it's a little top heavy at the tackle position. Then you go into the more depth there, and then you kind of jump into the other parts of the offensive line at the guard and center position. Of course, the Miami Dolphins need all of them. Even when you figure Daniel Kilgore in there when he came from the San Francisco 49ers for a seventh round pick, and he played in just a few games. And we don't really know what he can fully bring to the Dolphins. We don't know if the new coaching staff is a fan of his. So I think everything is on the table when you're talking about the Miami Dolphins and you're talking about any position on the offensive line. Going back to offensive guard, just a quick second. I forgot Eric McCoy from Texas A&M. Again, I, I probably a second round pick. I don't think he will get picked in the first round. If he does, it's going to be a late pick. Um, but I think it's more likely uh, early second or mid-second rounds. Sutton, Houts, we've been looking at these guys. We've been talking about these guys all over the place. What are your thoughts? What are your general thoughts on how you think this offensive line class is going to shape out? Sutton, we'll start with you. I think the offensive line class in general kind of falls in line with a lot of the offensive line classes that we see, and that's that's a pretty average class. It just seems like it's really hard to manufacture good offensive linemen coming out from college, find some diamonds in the rough later, obviously, but there's definitely a, a, a steep learning curve for some of these guys coming into the league. Now looking just kind of at the entire draft class, just at, from a marketplace sort of perspective for the dolphins. So, I mean, Basically, kind of what we're looking at is what positions do we need and how good is the talent at that particular position, which also has to take into account how important the position is itself. So when you talk about something like quarterback, it clearly distorts the market because of how bloodthirsty NFL teams are to try to acquire quarterback talent. So that drives the price way up. But if you go to a market like the running back position that's kind of devalued around the NFL, and this particular draft class is not that impressive anyway, so I would not expect to see any running backs in the first round. 
uh, maybe a couple in the second round, you're not going to see running back value until day three, in my opinion. Uh, I think it, we're, we're pretty fortunate as Dolphins people to uh, to need defensive line help because I think that's the real strength of this class is the defensive line. You could make an argument that defensive tackle is right there with defensive end in terms of uh, you have top end talent, especially if you include Ed Oliver in that group. Um, you have people in the late first round that would give uh, really good value guys and day two that's going to bring you value. So it's good from top to bottom. The tight end group, I think, is probably one of the, the better position groups by my estimation. I don't think the Dolphins need a tight end, though, so that doesn't really help us other than anybody that drafts a tight end before us is going to help a player that we will hopefully want to draft to fall to us. So um, that's the hidden benefit there. I think wide receivers, it's a pretty average group by my by my account. I don't think DK Metcalf is the top 10 guy that I, I see from some of the reputable sources out there. So I think it just lacks top-end talent. And then the linebacker group and the cornerback group, I wouldn't say there are some some top-line guys, but I think once you get uh, with a cornerback group, specifically bottom of the first round, I think there's some value there. Maybe top end of the second, like the Rocky Sins in the, in the top of the second round, I think would be a really solid draft pick if we were able to, to manufacture that somehow linebackers. I don't think, I think it's kind of like the running back group, at least with the, with the linebackers, you have the two Devons, you have Devin white and Devin Bush that could go kind of high, but I think you're mostly going to see value late day two and day three with the linebackers, especially with what Miami's looking for. We're going to be looking for more thumpers. We're not going to be looking for a ton of range. I just didn't see uh, schematically with the, the way the Patriots did things. I just didn't see, um, I didn't see the value of that scheme with range. I, I saw it more with downhill guys. So I, I think we'll be looking at uh, some thumpers later on with linebackers. And then the safety groups, the only group I haven't mentioned. And I'd say they're like some of the other groups that lack some of the top end stuff. But once you get into the second, third rounds, I think you're going to see some value there. I think, you know, the Chauncey Gardner-Johnsons, the Jonathan Abrams, the Nasir Adderleys, those guys are going to be late first round guys. And you could possibly see one of those guys fall to our to our spot in the second. Yeah, and one thing that we haven't even discussed is, you know, you're bringing in this new coaching staff. Yes, everyone want, everybody wants to say we're tanking, but really what the Dolphins are doing is they're rebuilding. So we don't know how this coaching staff, you know, we don't know how they view the different positions on the roster. You know, maybe we feel pretty confident with Jerome Baker, Rayquan McMillan, and Kiko Alonso at linebacker, but maybe they feel completely different. It's obvious the needs heading into this draft. You know, quarterback, I don't think they're going to fill that position. Yes, there's some late-round flyers I would absolutely take a chance on. You know, Tyree Jackson, Will Greer I don't think is making out of the first round. Uh, Rippin. I mean, there's different guys out there you could bring in and try to develop. Cornerback, I mean, we know New England is, uh, you know, meant for those nickel and dime packages. The Dolphins have Xavier Howard and then uh, Xavier Howard. You know, Bobby McCain shows up pretty often, but you can't really rely on him. So the Dolphins definitely have a need. At cornerback, you look at safety, you know, maybe they're moving Rashad Jones. There's a need there. Sutton touched on, you know, he touched on all these, these different uh, positions and some of the top talent. But the Dolphins have 
uh, five needs heading into this quarterback safety, cornerback defensive line. And then as we're going to talk about today, offensive line, you know, you both mentioned it, it's a weak class. The Dolphins, I think, are going to try to come out of this draft with two offensive linemen, hopefully an interior guy, you know, a guard. The Dolphins don't draft guards. They could have uh, someone that can slide inside, you know, even play some center because Kilgore is what he is. And I think the Dolphins could look to upgrade that position if they have the chance. And then you got to fill that right tackle position. You know, I, I think Jesse Davis can move out there. I think he has that potential to be a suitable you know, tackle in this league, but I do think that the Miami Dolphins need to get a right tackle. Uh, I think that's going to be one of their uh, targets in this year's class. But again, it's weak, and if you're not getting a guy in the first, second, or third round, you're probably not going to get a starter or even average depth. So Miami, if if you're trying to fill the fill positions on that offensive line, which I think they are, they got to use a pretty high draft pick, in my opinion. So as we move in now to the offensive line prospects, and we're going to talk about the first-round guys first and then move on to the uh, mid-round prospects. So I'm going to start off with Jonah Williams because it is rumored that the Dolphins do have some interest in him. Uh, He is from Alabama, which we know Chris Greer is a fan of, and I would have to assume Brian Flores, due to Belichick's connections with Alabama and everything else, would have the same kind of affinity for the Alabama program now Jonah some are saying that he may go to the Buffalo Bills like I announced at the top of the show some are thinking that he may go there Um, I could see it the Buffalo Bills need to plug some holes in there Um, and several mock drafts including the latest Bleacher Report one has been having Jonah go to the Bills so we'll see there the Bills can possibly trade down and and whatnot Um, other mock drafts have him going to a team like the Falcons um as we know, the draft is completely unpredictable. But here's what we can tell you about Jonah Williams. Uh, he's a true junior. And his stats are pretty incredible. 466 pass blocking snaps last year. He allowed zero sacks, two hits, 10 hurries, and 12 total pressures. His pro football focus pass blocking efficiency was 987 That is, I'm not going to give you the guys who were above him because they only had like 250, 300 pass blocking snaps. The next closest guy actually had more pass blocking than he had was Andre Dillard from Washington State. 722 pass blocking snaps, only one sack allowed, uh, pass blocking efficiency of 98.9. So Williams and Dillard right there with each other. But when you talk about Jonah Williams, according to Lance Zerline of NFL.com, And here's where you start to realize the traits that he possesses that the Dolphins covet. Lance describes him as someone who is cerebral in nature and has a lot of versatility. And right there, you could end it right there. And you could say he's going to be high on the Dolphins board because the the two things that we know the Dolphins are going to covet in the draft and free agency and as they build this foundation with this administration is their smarts and their versatility. They've already said it in their press conferences. We know that's what they're looking for. So he can play all over the line, projected as obviously a tackle in the NFL, but a very smart player. And the Dolphins are going to be changing game plans on the fly during the game and from week to week, and they need guys to really just figure things out as the week goes on. Uh, Lance says he plays with superior technique and rarely strays from fundamentals. He's very athletic with fluid movement. His initial steps, which is very important for an offensive lineman, are quick and controlled. 
and a good acceleration up to backside blocks. And I just want to hone in on this a little bit because when he's pulling out um, and going out to run in space for the running back and the Dolphins are talking about possibly bringing the fullback position back, you need a guy who's going to be able to get out in space and be able to help block. Uh, we know that Jawan James and, and other guys on the Dolphins offensive line had trouble with that in the past, and they couldn't get out in space quick enough, and it impacted the plays negatively. Um, so to have someone like that is very good for the Dolphins. Now, of course, everyone has a weakness, and Jonah's no different. Um, some are concerned about his arm length. I know there are several others out there who aren't concerned about that at all. And because of that arm length, the longer, uh, quicker pass rushers in the NFL may hold that advantage over him. So that is something that Jonah's going to have to work on and kind of mask that weakness and figure out how to compensate for that. Because if you can't get your arms out at the chest level and get that first punch in there, those defensive players will eat you up. Now, Jonah, uh, people do say that he has a small frame for NFL standards at the tackle position. His frame, 6'4", 302 pounds, 33 and 5 eighths inches arms, 10, 10, uh, 10 and 1 eighth inch hands. So they say that's a little small, but again, if you have the athleticism, if you have the smarts to compensate for that, that's something that can be masked. Another thing for Jonah, and this last weakness is what I will just kind of focus on, is this. And and Zerline says he needs to maintain his knee bend as a drive blocker rather than locking out. And that's important because if you if if you kind of stand up straight, right? If you lock out, if you lock out your knees, you're just going to get bull rushed back into the quarterback. And obviously, as an offensive tackle, that is obviously no good. Doesn't need to be said any more than that. So, but again, that's a technique thing. So when you look at his weaknesses, those are things that can be easily corrected through technique and through scheming to cover up for the deficiencies. So in that case, he seems like a safe prospect. He seems like a guy you can plug and play. Personally, here's what I'm doing if I'm the Dolphins. If there is no more premier edge rushers on the board at 13, I'm trading down. If Jonah's there when you trade down, I'm great with that pick. I'm not going to be thrilled with Jonah Williams at 13. As great of an athlete as he is, as plug-and-play ready as he looks to be, I just can't get on board with drafting an offensive lineman that's high. I know, I know, I know what you're going to tell me. The foundation is important, but also getting more picks into the future is just as important. The Dolphins need to do everything they can and do that unless there's a premier edge rusher on the board. Houts, I'm going to toss it to you now, and you're going to give us your first-round prospect and why you think he's a good fit for the Dolphins. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when you're younger, you know, you really don't quite see the significance of what the offensive and defensive lines do for a football team, you know. As you get older, you start to realize how important a position is. I mean, as a Miami Dolphins fan, they've been, you know, they completely ignored the position for so many years. You know, the guard spot, you know, Gase came straight out and they said, you know, that was not a position that he felt that the Dolphins really needed to do much at. You know, they thought they could do things without upgrading that position. So now you look towards the draft, you know, the Dolphins just let Jawan James walk. You know, now he's the highest paid right tackle in the NFL. The Dolphins cannot compete with that. Which is crazy, by the way. Yeah, it's insane. And you – I, I don't know. I guess if you have Joe Flacco's corpse, you need to pay a guy handsomely to protect him, but <laughs> it just makes no sense to me. But, 
you're getting rid of Jawan James. Wind up bringing another Jawan. Jawan Taylor, you know, a three-year starter at Florida, played against some of the best pass rushers in the N- or in the NC in college football, and he, he's just explosive off the line, great in pass protection, can do it all. And I, I think a lot of people believe that he can be an anchor, you know, opposite of Laramie Tunsil. If you're bringing in Tua, why not bring in Jawan Taylor? If he falls to 13, which I don't think he does, I'm looking at Draft Network right now and their uh, top prospects, and he is their number three overall prospect. I mean, you think about that, I don't think there's any chance he falls out of the top 10. I know Jacksonville's very interested in him. The Miami Dolphins brought in Greg Little today. They brought in Kajust, uh, the guy from West Virginia who's hurt, the the tackle. They brought him in for a visit. So the Dolphins are looking to upgrade this position. Obviously, they have the in-house option with Jesse Davis, some other guys that can compete for a position there, but – I mean, you have Laramie Tunsil in place. You had a pretty good right tackle in Jawan Taylor. The interior is a complete mess, but if a Jawan Taylor falls to you, he's six foot five, three hundred and thirty-four pounds. I mean, the biggest issue with him, it seems, is his hand placement. He seems to, you know, he gets out of position, doesn't quite get that stab on the defender when he needs to. But I think if he falls to thirteen, and I really, really do not think he does. If there's any offensive lineman in this year's draft that I would invest the number 13 pick on, it would be Jawan Taylor, and I'm just going to leave it at that. If if it were up to me, yes, I would trade down, but if Jawan Taylor falls into your lap, if your plan is to go quarterback next year, I think you need to you need to snatch him up. In my scenario, my guy Chris Lindstrom, I think the only way this makes sense is if you trade down Somewhere in the 20s, I think, is where the sweet spot would be. I don't think drafting Lindstrom at 13 makes any sense. Uh, If we do, for some reason, want to go interior line, Garrett Bradbury would probably make a little bit more sense at 13. But uh, dropping down to the 20s and getting a guy like Chris Lindstrom, I think, as unsexy as that would be, I think it would be a good move to shore up some of the interior stuff. And I know I speak for a lot of Dolphins fans right now where I'm just sick of the interior line being an issue for us. And Chris Lindstrom's about, and I know offensive line gets kind of misconstrued as being a, a sure thing when you invest in them in the draft. But I assure you there's just as volatile as any other position, but Chris Lindstrom seems to check all the boxes and sort of, Go to Pro Football Focus. Go to the Draft Network. Go to Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, everybody. They all say he checks all the boxes. He ha- He's a technician. He's got the IQ, Boston College. He's got the legacy there. We have Patriots coaching staff should be familiar with Boston College being so close to them. Chris Lindstrom, mobile, strong, four-year starter. Experience guard and tackle. Consistent. I think that's the one word to describe him. He's just consistently good. He just consistently wins one-on-one matchups, and he consistently does what he has to do to help his ball club. He does it in the run game. He does it in the pass game. I would, like I said, you know, he's like peanut butter and jelly. He's not pizza, okay? He's not steak. He's not going out to eat. But peanut butter and jelly is going to get you through a hell of a lot of days, especially when you have as many kids as I do. And Chris Lindstrom is that type of player. Peanut butter and jelly going to last you a while. 
going to be a good football player for you. It's almost as important to us, if, especially if we trade down. We just can't whiff on the pick. And I think Chris Lindstrom is about as sure of a thing as you can get when it comes to the NFL draft. I am a big fan of Chris Lindstrom. And I think we may have talked about him on this show previously, or it was on my Twitter feed where the Dolphins have sent plenty of scouts and plenty of coaches, uh, not plenty of coaches, but in terms of position coaches, and they've invested some resources into Chris Lindstrom. He's from Boston College. And again, as we know, that's a Patriots staple up there is finding that guy, that blue collar guy who can really get down and dirty and, and really make a difference. And, and you're right, son. I do think he is one of the safest picks in the draft. And I, I do think 13 is a bit high um, for him. But if you can trade down and get some extra picks, he is absolutely a solid pick there towards the end of the first round or towards that like. 18 to 25 range there before you get to the last few picks. I agree. It's possible that he even say we trade down to like the 25 area or something. He might go right before us. A consolation prize would be someone like Cody Ford from Oklahoma. Who's just a, a just a massive human being. That's going to, it's going to move mountains for us. Yeah. And I think we can all agree, you know, the dolphins absolutely need to upgrade their offensive line. I think as unsexy as those three guys might be at Lindstrom in a trade down, you know, Williams, maybe at 13 or in a trade down Taylor, if he falls, no matter how unsexy those picks are, the Miami Dolphins will be much better off with any three of those players. If they do make that pick in the first round. And Matthew, you astutely point out typically when we have these conversations that if we do somehow luck ourselves into a, an elite quarterback next year, someone like Tua who's left-handed, then uh, right tackle then becomes, Eminently, you know, just absolutely phenomenally important. Yeah, and that obviously time will tell on that one. Uh, so we'll see how that shakes out. But those are our first round prospects. Let's jump in now into the middle rounds. And when I was looking through the list here, I couldn't figure out who I wanted to go with because the interior offensive line, as I said, it's not very strong. And, you know, as I was going through these guys who could possibly be a mid round pick, none of them. We're really working out for me. Um, a lot of the projections there from the draft analyst with these uh, interior offensive line guys is, you know, bench guys or really have a lot of stuff to clean up. So I went back to the tackle position and I came down and, and settled on Donald Green from Minnesota Golden Gophers. And he is a redshirt senior offensive tackle. I'm going to read you a scouting report from the draft network. And then I'm going to go to Lance Zerlines from NFL.com because the draft network really hypes him up a lot, but Lance isn't so high on him. And that's what you get during the NFL draft season. But let's, here we go. Donnell Green is a highly promising tackle prospect who can fit into either gap or zone systems with some more attentive technique. Green is naturally fluid and redirects well in space. Plus he has tremendous upper body power and will overwhelm smaller defenders at the point of attack. Green have his devastating hand strength when he's able to sink in a grip. It's just a matter of getting those hands fit with consistency that lies as a true barrier to a high ceiling. The draft network projects him to be a third-round pick. Lance Zerline, on the, on the other hand, calls him a mountain of a man who manned the left tackle spot for the Gophers over the past three seasons, calls him a wide-body tackle prospect who can get looks as a backup swing tackle but would likely benefit from a full-time move inside to guard. Talks about his weaknesses in pass protection 
and does mention that obviously it can be improved, but it's not as fixed as he lacks the athletic traits and technique to handle life on an island. So Lance Zerline believes that he would be a better fit if he moves inside to guard. The draft network said that he is versatile and can move to guard as well. And again, we know the Dolphins value guys who can play different spots. So if the Dolphins go with a guy like Green or if a guy like Green is available, if that's the selection, that has to be the idea that's being taken into mind. And of course, if you play left tackle in college, well, the Dolphins have Laramie Tunsil, and there's no way this guy's unseating him. So a mid-round pick as a guard, late third, uh, probably not early third round where the Dolphins are picking, but if they trade down a bit or if they get him in the top of the fourth round as they pick, I think it makes sense for them to pick up a guy like that. As a draft network said, he has a devastating punch. Lance Zerline believes he has a ready-made frame for a move inside to guard, and he grinds the defender out of the gap on doubles and down blocks. Again, important for the run game. And good field to scoop defensive end up the field on outside zone. Again, focusing on the run game, which I believe is going to be a big part of the Dolphins offense this year. As you have a quarterback, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a thrower, but if you want to try to tame him as much as you can, you need to control the clock and try to win some football games. So weaknesses there will struggle in pass protection if he remains a tackle, as the Zerline notes. And another, just one other weakness that I will mention is that his leverage as a run blocker gets away from him. So that said, as I as I mentioned, um, left tackle in college could play right tackle in the NFL. More than likely, several draft analysts say a move inside to guard would be most beneficial. So if the Dolphins do pick up a guy like Green in the middle rounds, top of the fourth round, let's say, it could be a solid pick where, again, he can jump in right in there next to Tunsil. And if you get an offensive lineman earlier, let's say a guy like Joan Taylor or Jonah Williams or Chris Lindstrom who would play the other guard spot, you can go a long way to shoring up your offensive line and I know at the beginning of the show, I was not very high on picking offensive linemen. But as we talk through it now and see the possibilities, just gets me a little excited for that. How, how about you? Yeah, and I'm absolutely excited to see what the Dolphins do on the offensive line. I'm excited about some of these early prospects, some of these guys on day one, day two. I mean, after that, it's pretty much a crapshoot. But you mentioned your guy. I'm going to sit here. I'm running down the list. You know, you got Michael Dieter. From Wisconsin, you got Ben Powers from Oklahoma. The guy that I'm looking at, and uh, he's versatile as all hell. He played right tackle, left tackle, played some guard, even played some center during his time at Mississippi State. I'm bringing in Elkton Jenkins. He's right now projected as a second or third round talent. Uh, the biggest, uh, his best trait, according to Draft Network, is his football IQ. Worst trait is his hands, but this is a guy, I mean, he, I said it. He played right tackle, left tackle, guard, center. I mean, what more could you ask for? And he did it at a pretty darn good level. So the Miami Dolphins, their their new coaching staff, they like that versatility. We see it all the time in New England. We see these guys who, you know, you're man, this 53-man roster. Why have a guy that can just do one thing when you can bring in this guy that can do the same thing better and maybe do one or two other things? I mean, to have that versatility, to have a guy like that on your offensive line, who can start off as a guard. You know, the Dolphins desperately, desperately need a guard. For whatever reason, you know, they couldn't get a quarterback in how many years since they let Dan Marino ride off into the sunset. Ever since then, the Miami Dolphins, you know, they've had their ups and downs with their offensive line, with their teams. But lately, 
offensive guard has been their Achilles heel on that line. And I mean, until they fix that, bad things are going to happen. So for me, I think the Dolphins absolutely come out of this draft with one or two offensive linemen. I think they're going to address that offense tackle, offense guard position early on. They'll probably bring in some undrafted free agents. But for me, in round two or three, I think you need to go out there and you need to bring in a top prospect. And for me, that's Jenkins. I got one of those Midwestern corn-fed boys, and I got Connor McGovern out of Penn State, so he's kind of close to House territory. So, House, if you want to chime in at all, if you watch any of his uh, watch any of his tapes specifically, or watch any of his games, but from what I can tell, I mean, he he's got he's got the athleticism and the power, and where we're lacking is hand technique. And ironically enough, as a 160-pound person. Offensive line technique is one of the things that I happen to know the best. And I'm, if we're looking at a mid-round guy, I'm willing to take a guy that's got the footwork and the power but needs a little help with his hand technique. Okay, so those are teachable things. Matthew, you were talking at the top of the show about some of these things that are teachable and things that are tough to compensate for. Hand technique is something that you can work with. I don't. I would rather have a guy with uh, that needs some help with hands, but has the footwork than the other way around. I don't want a guy with slow footwork but good hands because he's going to get eaten alive in the NFL. So I want the guy with the quick feet. He's he's got the power. You know, he's six five three twenty, and um, just to speak to his foot speed, he's one of the the better performers at the combine and the three cone drill and the twenty yard shuttle. Um, but he also has. Uh, was one of the better guys in the broad jump. And I think counterintuitively, I think the broad jump is a better measure of offensive line strength than the bench press because when you just think about how kinetic energy works with offensive linemen, it comes from your legs. It comes from that athletic position. You were talking about Jonah Williams earlier. You want to see those Z's at the knees. You want to be able to play with leverage. If you're, if your posture is too bad, um, if, you're, you're leaning too much, then you're not using your body's natural ability to generate the most power. And that's one of his weaknesses is getting a little bit over top of himself and lean a little bit too much more um, with his upper body that causes some balance issues. So I think those are some things that the coaching staff will be able to work with. And granted, this is uh, probably a, a a late third round guy, maybe somewhere in there. I think offensive linemen artificially get pushed up like quarterbacks, but I think you see this guy somewhere in day two, maybe early day three. So he has just as much risk as any other uh, position picked in that part of the draft. But I think this is the type of guy who could um, pay some dividends, uh, maybe not immediately, but with some proper coaching, I think could develop into a pretty pretty solid starter in the NFL. And that's the biggest thing. You're sitting here talking about it, and you almost make it sound like the offensive line play is a science, and that's kind of what it is, you know, to build the most momentum, to build the most strength, and to have your body in the right position. But all these guys that we talk about, you know, you touched on it best right there at the end. You said this guy's not going to contribute right away. None of these guys will. You know, Isaac Asiata coming out, people were very, very high on him and thought he was going to do something in Miami. hasn't done a darn thing. I mean, it takes time to transition, much like the tight end position like we saw last year with Jasicki. Yes, he was asked to do a lot, but that's a position that doesn't really translate as well to the NFL game. Same thing with the offensive line. There's just too many things to learn 
too many highly, highly uh, skilled players in the NFL. I mean, if you're out of position, your quarterback's going to pay for it. It's a whole different monster. I do think McGovern, I mean, I think he has the potential to be a starter. I just don't think it's going to happen right away. Well, you guys remember when we had Richmond Webb on the show, and that was a really kind of eye-opening show for me when it comes to to the line play because, I mean, you're basically a college kid that if you pay, if you play in a high tempo offense, you're not blocking that many times. I mean, guys are so tired for some of those plays. You, you, you block the, the very first punch and you're good. So these guys are, are being able to mask some of the weaknesses and just the way the college game is played. It's, it's, it's exciting. I, I love it but it doesn't necessarily train offensive linemen to the rigors of NFL football. So you, you just hope that these guys that are coming in uh, realize the learning curve that they have. And so when we're talking about these day two guys, I mean, I like I said at one point in the show, there's just this misconception that you can just find undrafted guys, plug them in, they're just – big fat dudes that just push people. So they're all a dime a dozen, just throw them in there and make it work. And it's just not that easy. You guys are right. When you say the offensive line, one is not easy. And two, it's a science. How many draft picks have the dolphins wasted on offensive linemen over the years that haven't worked out or are now playing on different teams. The dolphins haven't had the greatest offensive line coaches in the past either. So, I mean, you had a guy snorting coke in his office. You had Jeremiah Washburn last year who was – couldn't. Is that a pig? <laughs> that was a snort. Okay. What, wait, what happened? If I snorted, that's how I would do it. Oh. Oh, okay, the sound effect. I totally missed that one. <laughs> Jeremiah Washburn wasn't very good. He couldn't figure out how to get his offensive lineman to pick up stunts and blitzes throughout the entire season. Um, so the Dolphins haven't had the best luck there either. Now they have Pat, Pat Flaherty as their offensive line coach, 62 years old, coached in the NFL for 19 years, has previously coached with the Jaguars, the 49ers, the Giants, the Bears, and the Redskins. Um, coached a few notable players throughout his career, including Chris Snee, Sean O'Hara, and David Deal. And this is his 20th season. He's been around for a while. He knows what to expect. Let's hope he can get these guys into shape. Can we both all agree, though, that the offensive line, that pick is not a sexy pick and it's not going to get fans excited? It never will, but it's almost, like I was saying, peanut butter and jelly. That's kind of what we need early on for a rebuild. We don't, we don't need to smash it out of the park right away, especially if we trade down we need value and we need guys that we're going to be able to count on for a few years. And that's why I like a Chris, a Chris Lindstrom type of pick. Um, but you're absolutely right. We're, we're not going to be doing somersaults for an offensive lineman, but maybe it's in our long-term best interest to kind of have a boring high floor pick in the first round. I think it absolutely is, and I think that's the hardest thing between you know trying to be a fan and then trying to take a step back and trying to analyze things from an outside perspective. You know, 
to us, it is not a sexy pick. It'll never be a sexy pick, no matter how good. Even Quentin Nelson last year would not have been a sexy pick as, you know, as elite as you might think he is, and he was at the time. I mean, offensive line will never be that sexy pick, but that is the right way to build football teams. If they do it, do it this year because, you know, they have Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, they're not expected to do much next year's when you're getting your quarterback. Build the right way. Build that offensive line and protect him because what was the Tannehill's biggest downfall? You know, yes, we all thought he had potential. Yes, he showed this these glimpses of greatness, but he never had an offensive line protecting him, and he paid for it. He's, he's no longer in Miami. You can't make that same mistake again. So as unsexy as it is, the Miami Dolphins need to address the offensive line sooner rather than later. Let's say the Dolphins address the offensive line this year, address the defensive line next year, get their quarterback. You have your foundation set for the next, hopefully, five to seven years. And that's the kind of thing that gets me excited about the possibility of drafting an offensive lineman or two in this year's draft is you really get that fixed. And we know it starts and ends with your offensive and defensive lines. Just sucks. We have to wait a little bit for everything to develop, but that's the pain we've all need to go through to get this team back on track. The NFL draft is just a few weeks away. We will be back with you next week twice with more positional breakdowns. And then again, the week of the NFL draft with even more. We'll be bringing on special guests in the next few weeks, talking about the insider information they're hearing. As we're two weeks out from the draft, teams are starting to finalize their boards that they haven't already and are starting to really target the players that they want. So you might be hearing some chatter coming out more and more over the next week or so. That's because it's coming out for a reason. Teams are starting to finalize everything and starting to settle in on who they want to draft. For the Dolphins, it's a mystery. We have no idea which direction they're going to go in. Leaks are not coming out of the building very much. And if they are, we don't know if it's a smokescreen right now or if it's true. That's the beauty, the blessing, and the curse of a new regime. For Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, I am Matt Kanata. We'll be back with you next week with more. Thank you for listening. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one.
Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.